Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of It's Personal. Uh, the last book I wrote was heavy. All right. Hey, Gary. This is Evie. Uh, my name is Randy Rebine. Uh, but my name is Jared Krizoska. I don't think I'm a person that curses a lot. Heart just goes out to everybody. I'm excited. Hi. All right. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of It's Personal. I'm super excited to have another debut author with me today. Um, can you introduce yourself? Yes, I'm JL, the author of Wings of Ebony, a young adult fantasy novel about a um, Black teen who must lean into her ancestors' magic to protect her community from drugs, violence, and crime. Super, super exciting. And I can only imagine, again, as we talked about previously, about your experience being a debut author during this time. Um, I, I want to ask simply because I know that the journey itself is different for everybody. Um, how's, how has it been? Um, in regards to, yeah, having a debut book during these very unconventional times right now? You know, it's, it is definitely not what I imagined <laughs> when my book sold to Simon & Schuster. I had, I had envisioned it going a little differently, but I think, um, you know, we came through 2020 when things sort of just really hit, hit the fan. And uh, the books coming out in that time, publishers were able to really, publishers and authors, I think, were really able to, to pivot um, and sort of adapt and learn quickly. And we've really seen um, a, a way to sort of create a broader access in, in publishing and even like broader access uh, for readers to authors, which uh, for a book like mine, which is exciting and fun and adventurous, but also like really important and timely and full of commentary, I'm excited that that this unfortunate situation is going to allow it to 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 reach more people virtually, um, because at the end of the day, like I'm wanting I'm wanting the message of my book to touch hearts. So I, I'm we're sort of just making lemonade right now out of the lemons mm -hmm. that we have, mm -hmm. and we've seen some some great successes I think too with books that have come out in the in the fall and and some that are coming out now. So we're we're adapting, you know, we're of course. We are doing our best. <laughs> yes, and it seems like it's funny because like it seems like most companies, not a, not only publishing companies, but people, when they did pivot, it's like they pivot in a way that's continuing and allowing them to maintain, if not exceed even more than what they have been doing without the online stuff. Because in reality, like being online allows you to be in more places quickly and to reach more people, which is like, yeah. in itself scary because then it almost plays with your mind a little bit because it's like okay well I can do five or six interviews in a row and meet with x amount of people in day like a day if you want to <laughs> yeah. right it's so wild when you really got it yeah it is it is yeah. it is Jay can you tell me a little like what's your story can you tell me a little bit about your story and just like how I guess the writing came about um, and what's that journey been like for you? So my, my story, you mean me, I think. So yeah, I Southeast side of Houston, um, the world knows about third ward now, like it's sort of a, you know, nationally known place because of the tragic events of last year. Um, but uh, I grew up in a very like inner city community and um, very close knit community where, you know, your neighbors are, auntie this and cousin that even though like you're not actually related but you grow up knowing that you have like 20 aunties on the street you just do mm -hmm. and yeah. everybody is your cousin <laughs> um and so that that foundation was very formative to me in, in terms of like how I engage with people and like 
I'm very much a people person, I think, because of it. And I, when I meet people, I love to, to just really kind of sink my teeth into them and get to know them and just love on them really well. Um, and I think that that comes through in, in my book, like that tone of community. I, and like, uh, I think it comes through very strongly and it's definitely rooted in like where I grew up. Um, I went to the University of Texas and studied broadcast journalism, actually. Um, was in that program. I did a little bit of radio, a little bit of print, a little bit of photo, um, but broadcast was what my specialty was. I did study a little bit of rhetoric and writing and PR. Um, and then from there, I actually went to grad school with plans to like become an attorney or run for oh Senate. God. Like I had all these like, you know, Kamala dreams, right? Um, <laughs> and quickly I, I began to, and, and, and let me say this, a lot of that was rooted in the fact that I went to, for my first five years, I went to a really elite private school here in Houston. So I was going to school with like the CEO's kids of all these mega corporations. And I was there on a scholarship um, and I was going home to my very sort of poor inner city home, which I, and I say that for descriptors, not because I feel some kind of way about it because I'm very proud of where I'm from. And if you read Wings of Ebony, that comes through very strongly. Um, but I, uh, I saw this disparity, right, between the kids I went to school with and sort of their life. And I didn't understand then, you know, sort of the role that like systemic oppression plays in those sorts of things and generational wealth. And like, I didn't understand the complexity of the layers as to why these kids live so differently than I did. Um, but I saw a difference. And so as a young child, I immediately latched onto the idea that a big role of that disparity was education. And so for me, I said, okay, well, if such and such as dad has a degree from this particular college, and this is like, you know, nine-year-old Jess making goals. So, you know, not super deep thinking here. But I was like, if such and such as parent has a degree from such and such a college, and I'm, I'm a first-generation college student in my family, um, I was like, I'm going to go to that college and I'm going to graduate and get a really good job and like take care of my whole family. And like, these are my, these are like nine-year-old goals, right? And then the older I got, I realized like, okay, well, if I want to, if I really want to impact education, maybe I'll run for office and make like uh, education policy my platform. And like, this is who young Jess was, like this person who wanted to like shake up education and change kids' lives. Um, and then I met my spouse and in college and we ended up uh, getting married shortly after college and he joined the military, which took us on a completely different trajectory. Um, we started moving around. We moved like 11 times in 10 years. Um, so it was very difficult to keep a job. I did work as a teacher for a bit. I even worked as an administrator. I went to graduate school and got a master's in educational administration and human development from GW, um, George Washington University. And I just, my heart was always there. Like my heart was always there, but like situationally, I couldn't, I couldn't do anything about it because we kept moving. Um, and then as we began to set our sights on like life after the military, I really began to explore this idea of writing. Writing has always been a, a, a sort of a, a way that I process things. You know, as a kid, I had a diary. One time I got stolen at school and that was very traumatic, but we won't talk about that. <laughs> but I always would like process things through journaling or writing. And so when I got to this sort of really down and out place um, in life, I began to write and write fictional characters as a way to process those emotions. 
And so fast forward, you know, those are just like pieces of stories, not anything I was planning to do anything with. And then fast forward to the summer of 2018, um, when I was like, you know, I think I want to try to get a book published. And so I decided to like compile all these random smatterings of notes into some semblance of a story. And it was a hot mess, but hey, I finished it. And it's still a hot mess because <laughs> that book never went anywhere. I have it on a sh- printed on a shelf in my closet. I'm going to get brave enough to read it one day just to see how far I've come. <laughs> but it's okay. I know, right? That's part of the process. And I cut my teeth on that book in so many ways. Um, so I'm very grateful for it. But after I finished that book, I submitted it into this contest to see if I could get a mentor to like help me get, you know, pursue publication. And that didn't go anywhere. But while I was waiting to hear back from this mentor, I sat down and that's when Rue from Wings of Ebony came to me. And when she came to me, I realized this is the story I want to tell. And so I was actually like, please mentor, don't pick me. Please mentor, don't pick me (laughs) because I want to pursue this one instead. And so that's when Wings of Ebony was born and uh, our life in the military ended and sort of writing is sort of taken over. And so I got to come back home, which was so full circle, right? Like I'm back in Houston, like I'm back home for the debut of this book that is so incredibly Houston and so incredibly black. And I just am so grateful. Wow, what a crazy like, whirlwind of events um, and talk about how they've influenced you so much. Um, I want to go back to just like the idea of community um, because I think it's so important. And I always mention this because I do think it's important, not just for me, but for my family as well. Like being from Canada and hearing your story about community and having aunties and uncles who are your aunties and uncles like down the line and cousins like that is the exact same way my community is and that's in Canada and it's so cool to hear those connections because especially from a writer like you where I grew up not think especially like I want to call it fantasy and you can correct me if I'm wrong but like fantasy novels for me at least growing up were never about black people ever like I never knew there was an idea of having a novel that was a fantasy and had black people in it like it just was never a thing um so when i see people like you talking about community talking about how your community comes up in the book like that is like music to my ears so i love that so much i really do i i love that too and and i think that it's inherently sort of problematic that there isn't fantasy that centers us because it's this idea that like we don't want the idea, the pervasive idea to be that Black people don't produce magic. Like, no spoilers for my book, but like, we are magic. And and I think it's imperative that that is the message, especially for young children looking around the world right now, young Black children, Black and brown children looking around the world right now, trying to sort of create the, or sort of sort of the, this idea of like what they mean, how they fit into the world, you know, as they're like solidifying their idea of self-worth and like what they're capable of, it is imperative that they have those examples to look to mm-hmm. that non, non-children of color have to look to as well. There's a reason Agreed. that fantasy exists, you know? Agreed. And so again, thank you because you're doing it. <laughs> thank you very, very much. I thank you. I want to write many, many more books, <laughs> especially like with inner city kids in the center, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, that's sort of where my heart is because that's I love where it. my art was you know I love it I love it and I also love that like I've been looking at the stuff that you've been doing online and specifically just how you promote your book Um, and I don't know if that's like from your publishing company or like your idea or what that looks like but I love um, just like 
how your account looks in regards to the the hype and the interest leading up to the book was just like so cool. Um, I love you. that your page was full of the colors from the book. I'm such a like wannabe like social media like mm-hmm. per like I don't I don't love it that much, but I love watching people um, use it in such a way that people can really get excited about something um and you did that through and through which is cool really cool yeah yeah never know when those ideas out (laughs) gonna like land and so that was just this idea i used to be a photographer in another life Mm -hmm. and so aesthetics and the visual things i was trying to sort of create some branding there so i'm glad to know that like you know i loved it healing no i loved it i loved every minute minute of it and the cover is just like phenomenal like oh I can look at that thing like look at that cover it is so nice it's such a beautiful cover you have the foil right but then like the paper is also like metallic shimmer like it I gasped when I took it out well I bawled my eyes out then I guess (laughs) (laughs) but yeah it's just beautiful to behold it's so pretty and then like in the right lighting like in the stores Mm-hmm. They had it positioned one store I went to had it positioned like under some lights and it was sparkling like jewelry sparkles. Oh you know my gosh. <laughs> so I love it. Jay, can you yeah, tell us I, um just because they're pretty? Like and this is like okay, I need I need this book. What is it about? I don't know. It's pretty. <laughs> it's so true though. It's so true though. Like I think about how many books we pick up because of the, the cover, honestly. Like if your cover is not saying anything like it's probably not going to get picked up especially for kids like the first thing they look at is the cover like then they read the title like it's just natural right it's just natural and the power of a black girl in a hoodie right with gold just like it's it's so it it hits so hard it hits so hard jay can you tell where did, was the idea of the cover something that was discussed with you and that artist or like how did that work for you so typically writers authors don't have a lot of control over their covers like almost no control especially debut authors um because there's a lot of like sort of marketing and science i think behind how publishers decide what colors to use and how they want to market the book. And so I think that they, this is all speculation, but I think that they like to have sort of full control of that. Um, I did negotiate, my agent negotiated on behalf of my contract to have at least consultations, which I recommend to any writers listening, if you have a field, negotiate cover consultation into your contract, because then they'll at least talk to you about it. Um, And my editor, one, she's a Black editor, and two, she's just very into art. And so she just had a very artistic eye. And I think the combination of sort of her artistic eye and then like us both loving the the symbolism of the hoodie and the gold cuffs it just sort of came together she found Taj Francis who's the artist the cover the person who did the art for the book um and he is just absolutely brilliant uh and I'm so excited you know the sequel cover is being designed as we speak so I'm so excited to see what the next iteration of Rue is going to look like wow that is so exciting like what a I love that there's such, I love this com- that there's conversation happening um, and being someone who loves art as well. Like I love that there's uh, like so, so much trust between the different parties because that's the, personally, I believe that's the only way you're going to get the best out of people if there's some sort of trust along those lines, right? So being able to trust your artist, trust your um, publishing company, trust your 
agent, trust your editor, like all those things come with great work. So, and clearly based on what came out of it is something beautiful. Yeah. Thanks. Like, yeah, Simon yeah. Has blown me away with their advocacy for this title. Like awesome. the access they've given me, like it's been a dream publishing it. That's awesome. That's awesome. Can you tell us what, what does Shay do for fun? Like outside of the beautiful writing that she does, like what do you do for fun? You're assuming I have free time. <laughs> okay, no, no, no. I have three children, <laughs> three little children. <laughs> Um, listen, my oldest just turned 10 on the day my book came out. So oh, I, I love that age. January 26th is like a lucky day for me. First kid, first book. Um, and so I have a 10 year old, I have a eight year old and I have a six year old. So a lot of my fun time actually is spent, is spent with them. One of my favorite things to do is play Monopoly. We get really oh, intense. Game of Monopoly. Like, I love that. Eat, like whole Saturdays, Gary, like whole Saturdays. Pass. The, like, game the, the game the takes three hours. <laughs> wake up, you roll up your sleeves, you have breakfast, you sit down at the coffee table in the living room, you pull out the game board and like, let's go. Like, let's do this. I love it's, that. It's so much fun. My husband always wins because he's super lucky. But now my son, the middle child, right, has stolen <laughs> his luck somehow. And like, now my husband is losing. And I'm like, ha now you know what it feels like. <laughs> So my son is like this monopoly genius, right? Like he believes that he has like magical breath. I'm not going to tell him different, right? I write fantasy. Yeah, babe, you got magical breath. That's right. And he'll like blow on his die before he like rolls it. He's like, boom, double, you know? So he's all into it. It's fun. <laughs> um, and so yeah, that's, that is sort of one of my favorite things to do. And then uh, we have a dog who is like a fourth child. He's incredibly spoiled and requires lots of attention. <laughs> and so I would say walks with him. And um, just spending time with him because we wanted a dog as a family for so long. But when you're moving all the time right. and traveling, like it's just hard. And so now towards the end of, of uh, our time in the military, we were able to really uh -huh. get a dog. Interestingly enough, when my uh, spouse came back from a trip, a, a deployment to Manila. Um, oh. <laughs> yeah, so we came back because I was going to get a dog before then. He's like, I really don't think you should have a dog when you're like single momming it for months. He's like, you're going to pull your hair out. So when he came back, we got a puppy and um, the puppy is uh, so much fun. We're actually mm -hmm. using my what? <laughs> what kind of What kind of puppy is it? Like what kind of dog is it? It's a basset hound and bloodhound mix. So, I mean, mm -hmm. if you can think that, I'd like to see him. But like floppy ears, short little legs, long body. And he's a complete baby. Like, he's the kind of dog where you just look at him and he just kind of rolls over, like scratch my belly. He's so precious. Um, That's a he's also 55 pounds. So he will like roll over in your lap like he's two pounds, but he's actually 55. So, <laughs> um, but yeah, so I would say family time. Family time is a big one. And then if, if I'm um, just spending time by myself, I like to binge reality TV. And um, I, I mean, I know this is cliche, but I really love to read um, and I'm an extreme extrovert. So if I can steal away mm. any of my friends to like FaceTime with me for an hour, that's like my, like with a glass of wine or some ice cream and like one of my best girlfriends on FaceTime, like that is in a pandemic, like that's kind of as good as it gets for me. What's your um, favorite, I have to ask, what's your favorite reality TV shows? Okay. So for a long time, it was the Housewives of Atlanta, and I feel like a traitor by saying this, but I am now stuck on Real Housewives of Potomac. 
I didn't even know there was a Real Housewives of Potomac, Gary, until like three months ago. And my friend Stephanie was like, you haven't seen Potomac? I was like, what is this? No, I've only watched Atlanta. And she was like, babe, get on this. And I devoured it. Like it was literally between, I was editing my book then, the sequel. It was like, I would edit for like six hours and I would reward myself with like three hours of back-to-back -back reality TV and ice cream for dinner. <laughs> it was so good. Oh, and then I finished um, and then you go through this like, oh, what do I watch now? So. And then I guess the other question is, what's your favorite ice cream then? Um, so I used to really love chocolate, but I'm, I'm moving away from chocolate. I'm, I'm very much in a sort of vanilla, raspberry, but put toppings in it kind of mood. Mm -hmm. um, I love anything Ben and Jerry's. This is an obsession that Saba Tahir and I share, actually. <laughs> it's a cool obsession for ice cream. Um, but yeah, anything Ben and Jerry's. And then if I can get like some, um, ooh, we, we are not above in this house. We are not above going to marble slab or like baskin robbins those are probably very local places but like an ice cream shop after school on fridays mm -hmm. and like driving and getting like each kid their own little thing and then we like put the weirdest mixins in it I so it. i have like a custom creation amaretto anything with amaretto is like so and i like toasted it's so cool i think you know what it sounds so it sounds so refreshing. Like me and my wife, we don't have kids, but it's refreshing to hear all the traditions that you're building within your family. And I can only imagine how grateful those kids are going to be as they get older, seeing that like we play Monopoly like every Saturday and I kicked, but like, they're going to love like remembering that. And then also the ice cream thing, like they're going to remember Fridays going to get ice cream, being allowed to put weird toppings on it. Like, I think those little things are so valuable to kids. In that age group, like I teach third grade, I love that, like you're in that personally. And I know it's easy for me to say because I don't have the kids around me like 24 seven, but like seven, six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 is like such a beautiful age group. Like they're truly trying to figure out themselves, like still very like self, for the most part, like really self-indulged, like things need to be about them, but like also super caring, super interested in everything. Like what a fun age group to like play with. Um, and it sounds like from the outside that you're doing, you and your partner are doing such an amazing job. So that is really, really cool. And then on top of that, like you guys are so busy, like to be able to do that and you're also super busy, like that is, amazing that is so amazing you know, in a lot of ways back to making lemonade out of lemons the pandemic has been as good as it could be for us because mm -hmm. that we're no longer in the military my spouse is going to grad school full-time that's awesome and so we're home a lot together which is really just fun because when you're in the military that's not the case i mm -hmm. felt like a single mom for over a decade and so it's wow. just been a very a time that's you know, community and family is always going to be a big deal in my books because from my upbringing to sort of the way I lived as a military spouse, it really mm -hmm. impacted sort of my, just the way that I sort of cling to the importance of that mm -hmm. togetherness. Wow. And in um, a really beautiful way, um, that's sort of the silver lining in this pandemic is that is that togetherness. Um, and so, yeah, we really like it. We have, when we moved back to Houston, we decided to move sort of on the outskirts of the city so we can have like, lots of trees and it's like heavily wooded. So we feel like we're on vacation all the time. And mm -hmm. it's like our little tucked hideaway. And it's just been, wow. it's been just a phenomenal joy to, to wow. have. 
So, Jay, look, I, I, huh? No, go ahead. Go ahead. Go I was ahead. just going to say, I haven't played Monopoly in about five days, and my fingers are already starting to twitch. <laughs> okay, let's do it. So, tomorrow, this is what we're doing. <laughs> that is so good because I have, I do have a question about Monopoly, actually. But at first, I, before, before that, I want to say, like, you deserve listening to your story, which I didn't know, like, you deserve every bit of what's happening right now. Like, I know just based on being around black moms, black grandmas, et cetera, that they do so much for family um, and are dependent on so much. And seeing that you and your family work so hard in the beginning and the moving around and on top of that, like now you are getting, like you're living your dream, which is like amazing. And I'm so, so happy for you. Um, and I can only imagine what is in store for you that we don't know, like we don't know, but you are going to continue to get those flowers as much as possible. Um, so that I'm, I, I know, I know based on what has already come out and I'm excited for already excited for what's going to come next for you. Um, Cause you deserve it. You really do. What's the, what's the secret for Monopoly? Like what is besides the blowing on the dice? Like, how do you like, <laughs> magic breath so it doesn't work and then here's the thing i'm like daniel blow on my dice before i roll and then i roll something that favors him i'm like look there's some sort of trickery happening here and i don't know what it is he's like it's my magic and i'm like okay um i don't know you know i always try to get the oranges that is my strategy but let me tell you the lessons in economics that these kids are getting from playing monopoly is like so good and i agree you know, first started playing we would teach them we like we would teach them how to play and they were just so excited about like the idea of the game that they didn't really employ any sort of strategy and now it's been fascinating to watch the way they strategize with each other mm -hmm. like mm -hmm. to watch my son say nope that's not a good trade it's not equitable like you need to do this or you need to do this and my daughter's like I'm not doing that that's exploitive like it's just like it's intense and then of course it. the six-year-old the six-year-old usually we'll start playing and then by hour two is like can I do something else <laughs> no somebody absorbs her property <laughs> um but then at the end she comes back and she's like did I win or who won and we're like you didn't win because you you gave your stuff to dad she's like but if dad then won with my things then technically I won <laughs> so, that's why I love I love it I love it I love that it. is <sighs> Jay where where can um where can people find you? You can find me online, Instagram and Twitter. I'm, I'm also a mildly addicted to TikTok, I do confess. Um, I scroll more than I post, but I am there. Um, that is, I would say, another bit of self-care and like the way, what I do in my fun time. I will literally choose three hours of TikTok over Netflix almost any wow. day, <laughs> which, is, which is so sad, but it's so fun. <laughs> it's hilarious. Um, so you can find me on Instagram at authorj.l, so dot E-L-L-E. Mm -hmm. And then on Twitter, it's the same thing, except it's an underscore. So it's author J underscore E-L-L-E. And awesome. then my website, revenue.com, has some great resources in case there are other educators listening. Which is whole... like fire, <laughs> like by the Thank way. Thank you. I wanted kids to be excited to go to the website. I'm like, why would a kid want to visit my website unless my website is cool? You're, so you like, like, like when I opened it up, you like enter a whole new world. Yes, that's what we were going for. So yeah, and there's great resources on there in case there are any teachers that listen to your podcast. There's Amazing. a full Amazing. And do you, I know your book's everywhere, um, but is there a specific place where you would like people to purchase your book? Um, I know sometimes... 
you sometimes authors would rather um i guess the outside world look at smaller um smaller bookstores or um places within the community to order from is there a certain place right now or are you kind of like anywhere you well, can find it um i so i always say shop local shop indie support black bookstores um this signed version you can get from anywhere um that books are sold so if you're looking for this one, I would love for people to shop indie and support their local bookstore, support a Black-owned bookstore. And then of course, if you want this gem, you have to go to Barnes & Noble. Um, but it is not um, an option you'll regret. So this one isn't signed, but it has all that bonus, all that bonus content in the back, which is really fun. I love it. I love Barnes & Noble for your local indie would be awesome. Jay, thank you. So I could this is so, this was so much fun. Thank you so much for hanging out with me. This was the most fun that I've had. <laughs> Thank you so much, Gary. I that was my goal. That was my goal, honestly. I was like, what can I do?